with such short notice, we're, we're grateful for children. You can go ahead and be dismissed for Sunday school. Um, we're quite thankful for Pastor Stone coming. Call him Captain Canada. And uh, I remember even going to youth conferences and, and was looking forward to Captain Canada. You know, he spoke some messages that, that as, a t- as a teenager, just newly saved, encouraged me. And uh, the, the message this morning will be an encouragement to you. We've already heard him preach the previous service, but have your hearts open and God will speak to you. Pastor, you come. Thank you. I can't believe in that sleeping position that you heard those messages and actually got something out of them. But praise the Lord for subliminal thinking. Amen. That's good. That song is about Jesus being faithful. But I want to tell you, it's a blessing when you see people that are faithful. Some of you have been here year after year after year in my life. And I am so glad that you are faithful. The Broughtons are here this morning. They've been faithful for many, many years. Uh, I'm not going to mention all the names of some folks. I see Joe is here this morning, faithful. And uh, I just got a, I, I don't know if you got this or not, Joe, I'll have to show it to you if you didn't. But uh, Brother Bob Wall up in Ajax uh, had a man come into his office uh, about a 75, 80-year-old man. He said, you know, I've been away from the Lord for a while, but he said, I'm coming back to the Lord. I want to come to church. He said, I got saved under Dr. Harry Strachan when he was in Markham. And I thought, man, there was a guy that was faithful, Dr. Strachan, all those years. And you know, uh, if you know anything about preachers, often preachers have you know, numerous kids, and usually within that realm of their children, there's one that strays away from the Lord. I don't know why that is. It's sad to see that. I'm so glad Joe is here today. He never strayed. Harry did. Harry went way off the rails. But here's Joe, faithful in the house of the Lord today and his dear wife. So thank you for being faithful, and many of you being faithful here in the house of the Lord. Some of you are newer to Bethel. And uh, I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that you're getting a start in this great church. It's got an awesome history. Some great things have come out of this place. I'm not one of them, but many good things have come out of this place. And I was born and raised here in Simcoe and attended this church from a child all the way up to college. And then off I went. So thank you for being faithful today. Thank you, Lord, for being faithful. Good spirit in the house of the Lord this morning. I'm glad for that. I hope that you'll get something that you can take home with you today and use and carry you through this time. Take your Bibles. Turn to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. I want to give you a message I've entitled, There is Hope. There is Hope. Some of the saddest words a person can hear or say is, it's hopeless. It's hopeless. I've heard that a couple times in my life. Difficult situations. Often when someone is sick, someone is going to pass. It's hopeless. I think of Ida this morning. And how I love your pastor and his wife. They have been awesome friends to me and my wife. I love them very, very much. He's been a great encouragement, not only to me, but to many. Just every now and then, you'll get a text saying, I'm praying for you. I'm thinking about you. He'll call. Let's meet for lunch. Let's get together. I love that, and I appreciate that. And I'm praying for them as they're uh, down in that tough situation, especially for Ida, who did not get to see her mother before she passed. How sad that is. I, I remember when my father-in-law was ill with cancer. He'd gone through four treatments of chemo, and... He told my mother-in-law, he said, when I can't preach, I'm going to die. And he preached a meeting in Ohio on a Thursday night. He had to sit down. He was so weak. He got done preaching and on the drive home, he said to my my mother-in-law, he said, I'll never preach again. That's my last message. And he died that Monday. They gave us the call on Saturday night and they said, you better come. Dad's not well. You better come as soon as you can. And so we thought, well, well, we'll go through Sunday morning and we'll leave after the morning service and we'll head down and... We made plans, and they called back, and they said, he's, he's getting worse. It looks 
hopeless. And so we got in the car and we began driving and we got halfway to Cleveland. We got to Toledo, Ohio, and the cell phone rang and my heart stopped. I knew what it was. And they called. My wife began to cry. Her dad had passed away. She didn't get to see him before he died. That's a hard thing. So please be kind to them. Do some meals for them. That's an awesome thing to do. Many times as a pastor, we're involved in giving the meals, but we don't often get them. And this is a great opportunity for you just to say thank you to your pastor and his wife and let them know how much you appreciate them and take advantage of that. If you're not a good cook, go out and buy something. My wife likes to go to M&M's. They have uh, some great stuff there or get some of that pre-cooked stuff. If you're a guy, you can't cook, do that and do something for them. I know that they'd appreciate that and not expect it, but appreciate it very, very much. So very difficult times. So in those times of hopelessness, have you ever been hopeless? Have you ever had a time in your life where you thought there's no way out of this? We're not going to make it hopeless. Hopelessness is becoming a growing concern for many today. During this COVID time, during this difficult pandemic time, hopeless for some. Almost globally and generationally, people seem to be falling into that state of hopelessness. Hopeless is defined as having no expectation of good or success. Is there any good coming out of what we're going through right now? Is there going to be any success? I think of some of our poor business people that are going through this very difficult time, losing business, restaurant owners and other businesses that rely on people coming in and shopping, and that's not happening. Things are changing. I, I saw on the news a gentleman in Toronto that decided to keep his business open when they were told to close down. And you may have a difference of opinion, but they went in and they locked the doors of his business the police waited for him to show up to be able to arrest him if he tried to open that store. That's, that's not the Canada I grew up in. I, that's a different time. It may seem hopeless for something like that. Hopeless is defined as not susceptible to remedy or cure. Again, we think of those that are sick. We think of those that are going through difficult times. My mom has Alzheimer's. It's not curable. She is going to succumb to that someday. That's hard. That's hard. As I see her, and I haven't seen her for many, many months now. Very difficult. I haven't seen her, but when I saw her, I'd go and I cried almost every time I left. I thought if my mother ever knew she would be in that state, she may have contemplated suicide. It's, it's, not, it's not a good thing. And I pray, Lord, just take her. Just take her. It's hopeless. It's not going to get any better. Hopeless is defined as incapable of redemption or improvement. I can't be redeemed back. What I've done is so horrific, so bad, there's no hope of return for me. Hopelessness. For many, there is just so little that offers real hope, real comfort, real help today. You think of it this morning. Without Jesus Christ, what do you have by way of hope? Are you trusting in our government today? You're hopeless. <laughs> Are you trusting in mankind today? You're hopeless. They have no remedy. They have no cure for the problems that we have, especially the problem of sin. In an article entitled Nine Types of Hopelessness by Teresa Bouchard, she lists these nine things as states of hopelessness. Alienation. Alienation. Feeling left out. Feeling alone. There are many young people today who feel alienated. Could I tell you that through the generations, there have always been a side group for those who feel alienated. In the 70s, it was hippies. Remember that? Some of us grew up in the 70s. I grew up in the 70s. Peace, man. Um, we grew up in that time. The long hair, the torn jeans, the tie-dyed shirts, all of those things. It was sex, drugs, and rock and roll in the 70s. 
And if you didn't fit in, that's the group that would accept you. Then came the gothic group. The kids that all wore black and the black eyeliner and all the dark things. They, they were a group for those who didn't fit any, in anywhere else. Today we have other things. We have, the, I believe, part of the homosexual movement is for those that don't fit anywhere else, you can fit into that group, the transgender group. If you don't fit anywhere where else, we'll accept you in this group. And so they feel an association because otherwise they feel hopeless. Maybe today you're that person that feels alienated, forsaken, uninspired, powerless, oppressed, limited, doomed, captivity, and helplessness are all signs of a hopelessness. As our world drifts further and further away from that which offers hope, our world grows more violent, more divided, more dependent on drugs, alcohol, pornography, and gambling. Don't you find it odd that in this time when in our country, especially British Columbia now, Toronto, some areas, they're closing churches, limiting to 10 people to gather together. Churches closing. In British Columbia, you, you can go and watch a movie, but you can't go to a movie theater where someone's preaching. Does that seem odd to you? Seems odd to me. In all of this, do you know what hasn't closed? The liquor store and the drug dispensaries. Isn't that odd? It's odd to me. Where we find hope, we're limited, 30%. Where there is a, an absence of hope and, and a desire to find something that will get us through, that's open. That's odd to me. If anything should be open, and, and, and we take precautions, and believe me, I believe in being safe and helping others. Don't get me wrong. But if there's hope to be found, it's in a place like this. This is real hope. This gets people through things. Only to awaken these who are divided and dependent on those other things. Awaken to an even greater hopelessness. Our city of St. Thomas, like Simcoe and every community in this country, in the United States, and really around the world, drugs has become a terrible problem. Terrible problem. I've ridden with our fire department uh, the last uh, few months, and I rode with our uh, police department for a number of months. The police department, almost every night, some type of drug call, somebody has committed suicide, somebody has overdosed, somebody is out of control because of drugs and alcohol. They go hand in hand. I've, I've preached at the Teen Challenge Ranch for uh, uh, drug abuse and alcohol abuse and, and, and other abuse uh, in people's lives. And there's a hopelessness there. They'll tell you that. I do the drugs to escape the horrific life I've had or the hardship I've had. But when I wake up in the morning, things are only intensified. And things are only worse. Because there's no hope. I want to tell you today, I have hope I have a great hope. I have a proven hope in my life. And if you allow me, I'd like to share my hope with you today. You see, my hope is Jesus. Come on, amen. My hope is Jesus. Amen. He can be your hope too. Maybe today you couldn't say amen. Maybe today you hesitated just a moment. Maybe you think as I go through this, my relationship with Jesus or, or the sign of Jesus is not as great as I'd like it. Maybe this morning that hope is waning just a little bit. But in my life today, my hope is Jesus. 
And my hope for this generation, my hope for this city, my hope for our country, my hope for this world is Jesus. To be a hope, you must give hope. You must give hope. Let me share with you now how hopelessness gives way to hope. Number one this morning, the comfort of the scriptures gives hope. Would you turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 15? Romans chapter 15. The comfort of the scriptures gives hope. You hold in your Bible, in your hand today, a Bible, I hope. It might be on your phone. It might be in a leather-covered binding book. I don't know. But if you have these words this morning, you have the Bible. You have the Holy Scriptures. You have the Word of God in your hands. Think about that. The Word of our Creator. Not only was He good enough to give us all that we've got, He said, I'm going to write it down for you so there's no mistake. The spoken word can be misconstrued and often is, but the written word, you have it in your hands today. You have what God wanted you to know. You have the Bible. And in Romans chapter 15 and verse 4, it says this, For whatsoever things were written aforetime. Let me stop there. That's, that's the Bible. This was written long ago, thousands of years ago, and is carried through over the centuries to what we have now in our English language, this Bible. I read from the King James, chapter 15, verse 4, let's go on. It says, for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have, what's that last word? Hope. This was written so that we might have hope. God, who created this world, knew that there'd be sin. He knew there'd be a devil. He knew there'd be a pandemic. He knew there would be cancer. He knew there would be death. He knew there would be children running away from home. He knew that there would be car accidents. He knew all of those things. And he said, I'm going to give you something. I'm going to give you a place to live. I'm going to give you a wonderful place to live. And I'm going to give you hope for those times when that place becomes hard. These things were written aforetime that we might have hope. This blessed old book, the good book, the Bible, has for centuries calmed the racing heart. It has guided the wandering soul. It has formed a pattern of life that countries may exist by. It's an awesome story. You think about our country of Canada. With all her faults, she's still the greatest nation in the world for me. Amen. I've traveled all over this world. I think I've been to 18 different countries now. Now, I've seen some awesome things, and there's some great people, but it's great to come home and see that red and white flag, that beautiful maple leaf flag, and know that I'm home. I'm home where we're safe. I'm home where we're well protected. We're home where we have wonderful hospitals and roads and schools, and we have the, the beauty of a, a nation kept. This nation didn't just happen, you know that? It didn't just happen. Somebody got together and said, hey, let's form a country here. Britain said, hey, let's make some more money. Let's send some people over to that, that new land, that Canada. And let's find the, the beaver trade and the, the timber and, and all the things that could bring more wealth. And people came seeking a new world and a new land and a new life. And it began to grow and grow. And pretty soon it came together as a nation. And they were looking for a name for this nation. And they thought, well, if we call it the country of Canada, England's going to get upset with that. They don't want us to break away yet because they still have some wealth invested here. And so they said, we've got to come up with a name. So our parliamentarians were together searching for a name. And one of our parliamentarians was reading his Bible. Imagine that. 
a, a, a parliamentarian that, that knew God and walked with God and read his Bible. Now, we, we still have a few of those, but not as many as we used to. In this government today, our prime minister said, I want no religious representation in my government. The first ever in our country. But there was one who opened his Bible and he was looking and searching and asking God. And he read that verse in Psalms that says that God's dominion would be from shore to shore, from sea to sea. And he said, that's Canada, from sea to sea to sea. This is, this is God's land. And so he took back the name, the dominion of Canada, and it stuck. It used to be on our money, the dominion of Canada, often called that. Our national anthem. Our national anthem says, God keep our land. Would you do this for me? Would you go home and Google the national anthem of Canada and find all four verses? And read the four verses of our national anthem, especially the last verse. It is all about God is sovereign and God is the, 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 the founder of our land and the keeper of our land. Our national anthem speaks all of God. And so we are founded upon this book. And we are founded upon this God that we worship today. This blessed book, this old book, the Bible has for centuries been that which has sworn upon to challenge our sincerity. You swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you, God. I do. Sworn upon the Bible. I swear on the Bible, we used to say when I was a kid. That meant I really mean it. This is the truth. I can't vary from this. This is not a lie. The Bible was the standard. It was in our courts. It was in our, in our leadership. It was in our schools. Is it any surprise that in this troubled world that it is now the book spat upon, scoffed at, rejected, and despised? Folks, can I tell you that I've received letters after putting a John and Romans in someone's mailbox. We have gotten letters and phone calls that I could not repeat to you in a mixed audience. I wouldn't do it. They're too vulgar. The language is pathetic. People have called and just berated us. How dare you put this in my mailbox and just belittle the word of God. A country founded upon it now, rejecting it, scoffing at it. No more than 60 years ago, it was a textbook in our schools, a hallowed book in our courts, and a treasured book in our homes. No wonder our world wanders about in fear and anger and emptiness. No wonder our country is seeing massive change. No wonder churches become almost a dying breed. We don't have hope. No wonder our world wonders. Never a book was written that matches this book, the Bible. Hope lives in this book. That path to it and securing of it is here. This is where we find hope, right here, nowhere else. If you're looking outside of this, you're not going to find it. This is our only hope. And how do we find it? How do we have it? Through patience. By taking our time to read it and learn it. Listen, your first reading of the King James Version Bible is going to be difficult. There are some words in there that you won't understand. Could I offer some help? Google could I offer some help? A dictionary. Could if I offer some help? Ask your pastor. Could I offer some help? Just take your time. Read it again and again and again. You'll see as you begin to read it and learn from the Holy Spirit will begin to illuminate and turn a light on so that you can see more clearly. And pretty soon you'll be saying, oh, that goes with this and this goes over here and this is this. And you'll find a hope. If you don't read any other, any other part of the Bible in this time, read the Psalms. 
They're for a troubled soul. They're for troubled times in our lives. This book has the answer to every question you have in this life. Every question. It's awesome. It's hope. Hope lives in this book. The path to it. Securing of it. Patience, comfort, and hope mark almost every page. Know this book. Live this book. And you will have hope. And then there's this. The second thing. The conversion of the soul. The conversion of the soul. Let's go back to Romans chapter 15. We're going to look at verse 13. Romans 15, 13. The conversion of the soul gives hope. Here's what it says. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. That joy and peace in believing is talking about believing that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is our coming King. Jesus is the Savior that we long for. Christmas is coming, and we love Christmas. Christmas is going to be different this year for many. But Christmas is still this. It's still about Jesus. That's what it's about. We went for a drive last night. We took our grandkids and my daughter and her husband. We drove to Aylmer, a little town. They had a little uh, display. They had some things set up and fire truck and other Christmas displays and things like that. And of course, Santa Claus, all that kind of stuff. And as we were driving home, I said, let's do this. One time when I was here in Simcoe, I drove home and I counted how many displays in the yards were about Santa Claus and how many displays were about Jesus. I got to tell you, one was vastly outnumbered. There weren't many about Jesus. Oh, there's a lot of Santa Claus and there's a lot of Snoopy and there's a lot of other things, but very few about Jesus. Christmas is about Jesus. That's where, we, that's where the celebration comes from. A Savior was born. Joy to the world. The Savior's come. And we find hope in that. When we have Christmas at our house, one of the things that we do is, before we open any gifts, we read the Christmas story. And we talk about how Jesus came. And I tell the kids, hey, let's remember that, that the reason we're giving gifts is because God gave the greatest gift of all. He gave us Jesus. Let's remember the tree represents where Jesus died. Let's remember family and how God has brought us together and brings us and keeps us together through the hope of salvation of Jesus Christ. It's that believing that you are a sinner in need of a Savior and believing with every fiber of your heart, soul, and mind that Jesus alone is indeed the Savior and believing that I and all like me that find experience a weight lifted from upon the heart. Remember that? Even as a kid, a nine-year-old boy, I remember feeling something lifted off of me, a burden gone when I found Jesus. I knew that I was right with God. I knew I'd done what the Bible had said. I knew that every lesson that my Sunday school teachers had given me and the preacher had preached, all those coming together to let me know that I was right with God when I got saved. Many people that I've led to Christ and I've had the privilege of talking to men, I don't even know the numbers. Hundreds, thousands, I don't know. Almost every one of them, when they find Christ, especially when they've been searching, when they've been hurting and they've been down and they find Christ, what happens? They begin to weep, they begin to cry. Grown men, burly men, weeping. 
Little women with a broken heart weeping. Why? Not because they're sad, because they're joyful. Not because they're hurting, because they found peace and contentment and hope for the first time in their lives. They found somebody who really cares, and that's Jesus. The conversion of the soul. That hope that comes with knowing that I am right with God. That hope that comes with knowing that the soul is set free from an eternal separation from God by the acts of of sin. That hope that that once lost were found, once blind, now we see. That hope that is impossible to find if we just evolved and there is no God. You want to know why our world's in trouble? You want to know why things have so drastically changed? Because this world has bought into a lie that there is no God. We were not created. We just evolved. It just happened. There was just a big bang. And here we are. With that, there is no hope. There's no hope. I've heard many times through this pandemic, we have to trust science. We have to trust science. We have to look at the science. We have to trust the science. We're all about science today. Do you know know what science says? We don't know. We don't know how we got here. You can't find two scientists that agree on the age of this earth. 10 billion, 13 billion, what's, what's 3 billion? But I can hold up my Bible and tell you that I think somewhere between six and 7,000 years, this earth's been around, and it started when God said, in the beginning, let there be light. And there was. I believe that. That gives me hope. Knowing there's a God gives me hope. Trusting in that God gives me hope. When someone says, it's hopeless, I have hope. When someone says, we're doomed, I have hope. Because my hope is in Jesus. He's never failed me. He's never hurt me. He's only helped me. There is hope. That hope is impossible to find if we are the master of our own destiny with no power beyond death. That's many today. As a preacher, I go to the hospital and say, listen, would you like to know Jesus? And I've heard people say things like this. Well, I didn't need him in life, and I don't need him in death. Oh, you're going to be sorry you said that. I'd beg with them and plead with them, oh, please know what the word of God says. I remember one man I went to see in the hospital, never been to church, never had anything to do with the church, but one of his family members called and said, preacher, would you please go and see our dad? He's, he's on his deathbed. He's only got three or four days to live. He's got brain cancer and it's getting bad. The doctors have said he's got very little time. So I didn't know what I'd expect when I got in there and I went in and there was a man in a weakened state and I said, sir, I'm just gonna be flat out honest with you today. I learned to do this as I got a little older in the ministry. I said, I'm just going to be honest with you. You don't know me, and I don't know you, but I know this. I know that your time is short on this earth. I said, unless a miracle happens, the doctors have said you have a few days left. Do you understand that? Yes, I do. I know that I'm dying. I said, sir, then in that dying state, I want you to know that you're going to slip off into eternity. And when you go into eternity, there's only one of two places that you will spend that eternity. You will be in a place called heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ, who's offered to be your Savior and gives you the hope of eternal life today. Or you're going to spend eternity away from God in a terrible place place called hell and this is what he said I don't have time for that I don't have time for that I said sir you have time for nothing else he never did pray with me never did get saved as far as I know he allowed me to pray with him and I prayed that sinner's petition again but I don't know if he ever received Christ he died just a few days later I have hope 
I'll tell you this, I've been in the hospital twice in my life, three times I was born there. Some would question that, but and I have blood clots. I probably should not be here today. Humanly speaking, it was by the gift of God that I'm here. I laid on that bed and the nurse said, sir, you could roll over and if that blood clot lets loose from your lungs, it'll go into your heart and you'll have a massive heart attack and you'll die and we'll not be able to revive you. Or it's going to go to your head and you will be brain dead. You'll be a vegetable. Now, I know some of you are thinking, oh, it went to the head, but that's not true. They dissolved. I laid in that bed and I'm going to be honest with you. I'm used to going into the hospital and saying, hey, how are you? How you doing? How you feeling? Let's pray together. Let's give, let me give you some hope today. And I'm laying in that bed and the preacher's not coming by because the preacher's in the bed. And I'm thinking, Lord, it's me and you. Lord, if I roll over tonight and that thing lets loose, it's okay. It's okay. I feel bad for my wife and my kids. I feel bad for our church. But you know what, Lord, between me and you, it's okay. I have hope. And Lord, if you bring me through this thing and you allow me to continue to preach, I want to do something incredible for you. I want to do something fantastic for you. I want to give my life because I have hope when many don't. Without first knowing the Bible, the God of the Bible and the Savior contained within it, there is no hope of salvation for the soul. And then finally, I want to give you this number three, the congregation of the saints. Congregating of the saints gives hope. Let's go to Colossians chapter 1. Go back a little bit farther in your Bible. Colossians chapter 1. I'll help you memorize your Bible a little bit. When I was a kid, I learned this. GE, General Electric, GEPC, President's Choice. GEPC, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Helps me many times. Look at Colossians chapter 1 and verse 5. Look at this. The congregating of the saints gives hope. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 5, it says, For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. Whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, the good news. Jesus said, you're a sinner, you need to be saved. Come to me that are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Come unto me. And I did. And he told the truth. And he gave me a hope. And he told me this, when I leave this world one day, I will enter into a place called heaven. Have you thought about that lately, heaven? I know a lot of people have. We see on the news every night, new cases, new deaths. Many of you have friends or family or acquaintances who've succumbed. Now we know another. I just mom didn't die of COVID, but it complicated what she already had. And that seems to be the case more often than not. And she's gone. There's a void today in their lives. Christmas will not be the same. Birthdays will not be the same. There'll be times when she'll go to pick up that phone to call her mom and she'll realize she's, she's not here. But there's good news. You see, the testimony is that Ida's mom knew Jesus as her Savior. And that gives us hope. <laughs> because the Bible tells us to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord in his presence in heaven. The saints has gone on before us. The testimony of the word of God. We can't, we, we, we're torn between two to, to be here in this life or to be with Jesus Christ. And I think, oh, it's a hard time. It's a sad time. It's a difficult time. And I've had loved ones go on before me. 
I was very, very close to my grandparents. My one grandma especially, my grandma Christy, my mom's mom, very, very close to her. We got saved the same night. Dr. Strachan and my uncle Ray Stone, some of you remember him, came to see her in her little apartment on West Street. It's still there. It used to be a gas station. It's across now from the, used to be the, the Legion, up in that little apartment. Every time I come to town, I try to drive by there, and I just stop, and I look up and remember the night that I got saved. I'm so glad somebody cared enough for me to come and bring me the Word of God. It brought me some hope in my life. My grandma had started visiting the church, and they came to visit her, to welcome her to the church, and they came with the intention of sharing with her the gospel, and I just happened to be there that night, just happened to be there. And they came in, and they went through the plan of salvation with a nine-year-old boy and his grandmother, and they said, would you like to receive Jesus as your Savior? And I said, I would. My grandma lived to be 95 years of age. All my grandparents lived to be in their 90s. I, I'm hoping, maybe me too. If I don't straighten up, my wife probably will eliminate that hope. But 90 years of age. And as she got a little older, she said to me one time, she said, Alan, I want you to know the reason I got saved was because of you. And I said, what do you mean, Grandma? What, what do you mean? She said, I knew that if I didn't get saved, you probably wouldn't. And I wanted you to be saved. I said, Grandma, did you mean it when you preached? She goes, oh, yes. Oh, yes. I'm saved. My grandpa and grandma Stone are in heaven. I have uncles and aunts in heaven. I have so many former church members in heaven. I, I don't know what heaven's going to be. I, you, ever, you ever think, you dream about it? It doesn't tell us everything. God leaves some things to himself. I know this. Someday I'm going to die and I'm going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I'm going to fear no evil. There's rod and staff. They'll protect me and comfort me. And then at some point, we're going to enter that, that place called heaven. I've dreamt about it many times. I don't think we could ever imagine in our hearts and minds what it would really be. And, and I don't know, I, I could be completely wrong, but I just have to imagine that there'll be some people there at the gate. My father-in-law, I mentioned, and other great preachers that I've known, and other great people from other churches. And I, I'm just hoping that maybe when I get there, there'll be a few to welcome me and say, welcome home, we've missed you. If it's only Jesus... That's okay. That's okay. But wouldn't it be awesome if my grandma said, it's real. It's real. Everything the pastor told us, everything he preached, it's all real. Come in and see your place. And we congregate together in that place called heaven. When I was a kid, you know, 9, 10, 12 years of age, and older people would say, you know what, I just want to die. I just want to go home and be with the Lord. I'd think, what are they nuts? They're crazy. I'm 57 years old, and I know what they meant. I get it. I pick up my little grandchildren, hug on them and kiss them, and know my time won't be as long with them as I'd like. But I know this. Poppy's going to tell them about Jesus. We were riding in the car last night. 
my daughter's teaching them. Our grandkids so good. And she said, who loves you, Harrison? And Harrison's two and a half. And he says, Jesus loves me. I said, oh, that's good, Harrison. Jesus loves you. Poppy loves Jesus. And my daughter said to Harrison, who loves Jesus, Harrison? And his answer should have been, I do. But he said, Poppy loves Jesus. I said, amen, that's right. Since they were born, I take them in my arms and I whisper in their ear, Jesus loves you. Know him as your Savior. I don't know that I'll be 90. I want them to know Jesus loves you and one day we can be together again. And what we miss in this life, what you've missed with your loved ones, if they're saved, we'll make up for in eternity. I don't know if we'll talk about these days on earth, but we'll have that time to spend in Titus chapter 1 and verse 2, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. It's almost laughable to me the number of people that, that go to a funeral and hear how every single person who dies is now in heaven. You never hear the preacher say, well, we don't know. This person, we, we just don't know. And as a preacher, you try to be kind and you hope for that time that maybe nobody knows about. But there are some people that we would probably be safe to say they're not there. They were wicked. They were a drunkard. They were an abuser. They, they were a foul mouth. They had nothing to do with God. But yet somehow in, in a later conversation, they're looking down upon us. And they're in a better place. But that's not so for some. Because that place of heaven, that place of rest, is for the saved. It's for the believer. It's for the children of God. That gives me hope every day. I want to tell you, I'm growing weary of this time. I'm frustrated by this time. By just for the church, I'm frustrated. I want everybody to be here at one time and embracing and laughing and shaking hands and praising Jesus and singing out. I'm so frustrated that we can't. And I think, you know, we'll be in heaven. We'll be in heaven someday. We'll all be together. Church is a picture of heaven. One day we'll all be together. Congregating of the saints, the singing of praise and anthem to God and bowing down at the feet of the Savior. It gives me hope. It gives me an even greater longing every day that it passes. I have hope because I have the comfort of the scriptures. I have hope because I have the, converse, the, the conversion of the soul through the Savior. I have hope because I have the congregating of the saints to look forward to. I'll give you one more passage. I'll read it for you. It's in Lamentations chapter 3. Lamentations is the book of sorrow, lamenting. But in the midst of that lamenting, our author writes this for us. This I recall to my mind, therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. What a great hymn. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him. The soul that seeketh him. 1 Timothy 1.1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior, and the Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. I have Jesus. I have hope. If you can see that this morning, would you say it with me? I have Jesus. I have hope. Say it with me. I have Jesus. I have hope. Let me ask you, do you have hope? Or are you maybe here today one of those that are hopeless? Preacher, it just doesn't look good.
you don't understand what the doctor told me this week. You don't understand about our marriage. You don't understand about our kids. It just seems hopeless. I want to tell you today, in every one of those situations, Jesus makes that better. Is it that which you put your hope in? Proven and powerful and personal. If not, I'd like to offer you some hope. My hope is Jesus. And I offer that to every and all today who would receive him. I believe that many of you here today probably are already saved. That's why you're here. But maybe there's somebody watching today. Maybe there's somebody who's, who's just going through and came across and heard a message. And you need hope. Or maybe today you're sitting here and you've heard the message before, but you've never received Christ as your own. That's what makes us different here. We have a personal relationship with Christ. Not a religion. Not, not just a service. We have Christ. And when you know Jesus, you know hope. If you have no Jesus, you have no hope. My Jesus gives me hope. Father, thank you for this day, for these good folks. There's a great spirit here today. We miss our friends, the Furies, and we pray that you'd be with them in this very difficult time. But we know this, they have hope. And I know that preacher, and he'll give hope, even in a funeral service. And Father, I want to give hope today to those that are watching, to those that are listening. And Father, I pray that if there be even one person in this place this morning, one person that needs hope, that today they would have that hope in Jesus. May they cast aside all those things that give false hope to find that one true hope of life, Jesus. And Father, for those that are here today and maybe frustrated today, maybe, maybe nerve-wracked today, maybe, maybe going through some anxiety today, I pray, Lord, that those that have come and said, you know what, I'm just beginning to wane a little bit today, there would be a renewed hope. And say, it's going to be okay. We know Jesus. Father, help us today, all of us, to know and to practice and to share that hope with someone else. In Jesus' name we pray. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed today. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to do something a little bit different. In this time, it's, people don't know whether they should shake hands, bump hands, touch elbows. We don't know if we should mask, not mask. Don't know if we should touch anything or not. I'm going to do something for you today. I want you to have some time with the Lord. I want you to ask for that hope, and I want you to be able to ask God to renew that hope. In a moment, we're going to stand. The piano's going to play when I ask, and... I'm going to ask you to pray. When you're done praying, I'm going to ask you to be seated. And I want you not to worry about being the first person to sit down. No one's looking. No one will know. And we won't think that you're not spiritual. Somebody's going to have to sit down first. But when you're done praying, if you would be seated. When people begin to be seated, I'll let you know. And then when enough people have been seated, I'll turn the service over to Brother Paul. And he'll come and conclude the service today. But I would like to pray for those today that maybe have a little more serious need and just want some extra help. Are there any here today say, Preacher, I, 
I just feel a little hopeless today. I, I don't know how you got that message. I don't know how the Holy Spirit directed you to preach that one. But that was for me today. I feel a little hopeless. I feel a waning in my hope today. Can I pray for you today? Would you slip your hand up and hold it for just a moment? Say, that's me. I, I just need some extra prayer today. That's me. I'm feeling a little hopeless. I feel a little less hopeful. God bless you. Thank you. Are there others? Yes, God bless you. Thank you. I see you, ma'am. Are there others? Slip that hand right up back down as soon as I see it. Anyone else? I just need some extra prayer today. I'm feeling a little hopeless. God bless you. Thank you, ma'am. Are there others? It's for you. Are there any here today say, Preacher, I don't have any hope. You said, if I don't have Jesus, I don't have hope, and I don't have Jesus. I've come to church, I've heard the preaching, and it's time for me, like you, to make that decision to call on Jesus. And today, I need Jesus in my life. I need that hope. Could I pray for you today? Would you slip your hand up and say, yes, I need to be saved. I need Christ. Would you slip your hand up all over this auditorium and say, that's me. God bless you. Thank you. Are there others? I need Christ. I need to be saved. Father, today, for these who've raised their hands, we do pray an extra special prayer for them today. Holy Spirit of God, attach yourself to them. Embrace them today. Fill them today with your presence and let them know there is hope in Jesus Christ. A renewed hope for those that are weary. Help them today. And for those that are lost to know Christ. We pray it in Jesus' name.